Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It is the first day of March, Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host and a March birthday himself, Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? God, it's good to be in the best month of all time. <laughs> Finally, we got, there's, okay, and there's not just my birthday. It's not just my girlfriend's birthday. There's so much more. There's March Madness. There's daylight savings time comes back and we get, Ooh. okay. I'm a standard time apologist. Oh my God, please. Oh, so you don't like seven o'clock sunsets? Uh, I like it being lighter in the morning and uh, Nick, this is an environmental podcast. So we should care about how much energy consumption goes up during daylight savings versus standard time. Also uh, in the week after the clock spring forward, heart attacks and strokes go up by, forget how much percent, but it's enough that like, it's it's not just an anomaly and it happens year after year, but go ahead, preach to me about how the sun is so good. What a spin zone to making me seem like an absolute <laughs> like complete Oh, that's cool. So the thing is, um, like I know I'm in the minority on that take. So I, I come prepared anytime somebody's like, Oh, why do you prefer standard time? It's like, well, I can't just say, you know, I'm I'm not in the best of shape, so I look better with a sweatshirt on. I need to be like, no, here's why the sun is bad. No, you were loaded up. <laughs> you were loaded up, like full-on attack, assault almost. I would call that assault. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling hot because you called this the best month of the year when we just left my favorite month of the year, my birthday, my dad's birthday, the Super Bowl. It's short, so like you get you get paid quicker if you do a bi-monthly pay. Yeah, but rent is due quicker. Mortgages are due quicker. Yeah, my favorite month of the year is actually October. I, I love February for selfish reasons, but October is like the month. It just Yeah. Fair enough. I think June is I think June is probably my actual favorite just because there's so much going on. And because you tan. I just, I, I just burn in June. I love, oh God, I love the sun. I can't wait to get back in the sun. My my pinkish red hue just, just comes out in full force <laughs> the first month of summer. Yeah. All right. What do you say we get into this episode? Let's do it. Before we get started, we have a quick word from our sponsor, Vala Alta. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co slash tpt for 15% off. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co slash tpt. All right, time for our quick hits. The first one is by Diana Mandia, Alessandro Parodi, and Tristan Vayette who write, climate change clouds future of winter sports for Reuters. This is something that I know has been discussed when it comes to choosing host cities for the Winter Olympics specifically in the future. 
But this article just talks about how winter sports as an industry will be impacted by warming temperatures. This ranges from, you know, a couple friends playing pond hockey in somewhere like Minnesota or something that the article points out as an example, professional skiing training going on in Chile. The authors write, warming weather systems and a shorter season are threatening winter sports and testing the resolve of professionals and amateurs alike across Europe. This also impacts the economy of ski resorts and the towns surrounding them, as the winter sports season will be shorter in some places and non-existent in others. The owner of a ski rental store near Hautacom in the French Pyrenees has begun to rent hiking and biking equipment to help tourists access those sports, along with zip lining in the mountains. The article says a survey done by the International Biathlon Union, or IBU, found that roughly 60% of biathlon athletes have felt the impact of climate change, whether that be in training, competition, or both. Some locations have had to cancel events, others have had to postpone them, but this all kind of comes down to one thing for me, and it's that winter sports are already inaccessible or too expensive for a lot of people, and that could be children or adults. This is only going to make that problem worse, where you'll start to see something like skiing, for example, which is already expensive, especially in the U.S., become more of just a a rich person only sport. Mm. And something I wanted to bring up is like artificial snow. How long before that becomes completely unusable due to increased temperatures? It's useful if it's cold, but not snowy. But we're just going to see an entire industry change a lot because of climate change. And the thing that I that I brought up there with accessibility is look, as less and less places are able to foster good skiing environments or other winter sport environments, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to travel. And who can travel? The people that can afford it. And then you talk about renting equipment, you know, buying your own gear, whatever it is. This thing that is now more location-based than it already is Mm -hmm. becomes even more economically driven. Yep, absolutely. That's that's a great point. That's the same one I was going to make is like, this is already like the most gate kept like hobby Mm -hmm. almost of all time. I think we had a story about like how white skiing and snowboarding is and how like people of color just can't get into it for whatever reason, like um, location or um, economic thing reasons. And the stigma too, right? Like it's, it's and the stigma, right? Yeah. To me, I'm, I've never been that person, but I understand why skiing and snowboarding is fun, but it should be more inclusionary than just like the people who are going to spend like thousands of dollars for like whatever passes Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, equipment, all that jazz. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing that came out since I started writing the summary was the longest sled dog race in the Eastern United States has been canceled this year, which takes place. uh, It was supposed to take place starting March 2nd. Iditarod? No, that's, uh, that's in Alaska. This one is in in the Eastern U S so it's near Fort Kent, Maine. It's about 300 miles North of Portland, Maine. And this year they had to cancel it because wasn't enough snow melt. I'm sorry, there was not enough snow cover, about two feet less snow cover than usual for this time of year. Right. And a heavy rainstorm in the forecast said that a lot of that's going to melt. So we're already seeing winter sports being impacted by climate change. And yes, last year was the hottest year on record so far. That problem is going to get worse. And unfortunately, I, I see this problem becoming much worse with it. So I guess the, the good news, the silver lining, if there is one, is maybe rich people will start to care more and, and work to, you know, lobby people to cut emissions instead of lobbying, lobbying our Congress people to uh, keep big oil in business. Yeah. Or maybe they won't. We'll see. Yeah. But I'm hoping that, you know, 
the people who won't care until something is at their doorstep. Well, here it is. Yeah, absolutely. Our next story is from the New York Times where Aiden Gardner writes, disasters forced 2.5 million Americans from their homes last year. This comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, and the article added that this is across 28 different disasters that each cost at least $1 billion. More than a third of people said they'd experienced food shortage in the first month after being displaced. More than half of people reported that they had interacted with someone trying to defraud them afterwards. And more than a third of people also said they had been displaced for longer than one month. Gardner writes that it is important to understand the human toll of these disasters and not just their impact on the economy, as climate change is making extreme weather events worse and more frequent. There's a note from the Census Bureau that the sample size may be small enough to create standard errors in polling data, but experts say that this still provides the best available data for disaster researchers. So don't treat this as set in stone data, but what we do know from this data is hurricanes are the most common reason for displacement followed by floods and fires. It's hard to tell how many people could not return to their home due to the survey's wording being more short-term focused. Black people and Latinos are usually the most displaced people and poorer people are displaced for the longest amount of time. And in all three of those groups that I just mentioned, LGBTQ plus people are more likely to be displaced and to be displaced for longer amounts of time. Yeah. And something I wanted to bring up was um, the article says that the 2.5 million number doesn't even include communities that never receive assistance. It's only accounting for the people who like actually ask for assistance or aid um, or that just never receive aid, period. So like, for example, the Federal Emergency Management Agency only will respond to events that get a federal emergency declaration. So if there's never like uh, that declaration or like even even like state emergency, for example, too, same thing, state of emergency, mm. that those numbers and, and those people are not attributing to that 2.5 million. So it's probably much greater than that. Oh, absolutely. And something that you just said very much in passing, because like it's it makes sense, right? It's, it's common sense to think this way. And I'm glad that we both think this way, but I really just want to highlight the fact that you said some of these numbers and some of these people, because sometimes it's really easy to look at stuff like this and say, wow, 2.5 million people. That's a lot. All of these people are people. Yeah. Every single number, every single data point, every single statistic is a person, is a family, is, is someone whose life gets upended by a disaster. So yeah, 2.5 million people, if that was all it was, is still a tremendous amount of people in the U.S. And you're right, that number is higher. And also, you know what? If we want to look into how the survey was conducted, not everyone responds to surveys. Yeah. So even this number that should account for federal emergencies, like you had mentioned, it's probably higher than that because some people probably just don't respond. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, you know, I alluded to this when we were talking about winter sports, but we could really hammer this point home with this story. Climate change is making everything worse, including disasters. So this problem that we discussed here is going to increase as climate changes, as the temperatures continue to get warmer on land and in the ocean. This is going to increase displacement. This is going to increase the number of climate refugees. And I know this is kind of like the obvious thing to hope for, but I hope that with that number of displaced people increasing, with the number of climate refugees increasing, I hope that the countries that are the most responsible historically for climate change are also the ones with the most open doors and open arms to help all of those people who are going to need a place 
to live, going to need a place to go and, and survive and not just survive, but thrive moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All the people that are adversely affected by climate change and that are not going to have a home yeah. in the next five to 10 years. So, and traditionally those are the people that have had the lowest impact on climate change in the past. So right, exactly. you know, it's, a, it's a very non-equitable problem that is going to take a lot of equity focused solutions to, you know, make this whole thing work. Yeah. Agreed. All right, before we get out of here, it's time for this week's environmental policy roundup. In 2016, President Obama put in place a moratorium or a pause on new coal leasing on federal lands to fight climate change. A three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has lifted this moratorium, which National Mining Association CEO Rich Nolan called a huge win. President Biden has not announced if or how he will respond to this, but we are obviously hoping that the administration restores or strengthens the ban on coal mining on federal lands. Bangladesh currently has roughly 100 Asian elephants living in captivity and 100 in the wild. The country has suspended all licenses on these animals so they can no longer be captured and taken into captivity. Some elephants had been used for street shows, circuses, and begging, but the country will now only allow for them to live in the wild, zoos, or reserves focused on long-term survival of the species. I mean, I could talk for hours about how much and why I love elephants. They're just fantastic animals. So anytime <laughs> I could see more protections yeah. for an animal that I, I really deeply care about is, is great. Um, I will say that, you know, it's also really good that they're going to allow elephants to continue to live in captivity if they're born in captivity or what, what a lot of zoos do here, right? Where they find animals that are injured and need rehabilitation and can't survive in the wild. Well, that's a great animal to live in a zoo and help breed more animals to distribute to other zoos, other wildlife reserves, other places that are focused on long-term survival. Basically just give give the species a fighting chance when right. elephants are heavily impacted by habitat loss, poaching. You know, Asian elephants are the ones with smaller ears and smaller tusks, but that ivory is still worth something on, on the black market if we allow it to be. So they're not immune to poaching just because they don't have as large of tusks as forest elephants or African elephants. Glad to see the protections. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like you're taking something to your point, you're taking an animal that was, you know, that needs to be re rehabilitated anyway, that might not make it out in the wild to begin with and potentially leaving, you know, a whole family tree underneath him or her. If there's another elephant who's also in needs to be rehabilitated and that can just, you know, we can up the population from there. They might not ever see the wild again, but at least we get to keep their population high. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a difference between being extinct and being extinct in the wild. And, and one of them is that you have a chance. Yes. The other one we'll never see again. So I am all for giving animals a chance, giving wildlife a, a fighting chance at that. Agreed. All right. I think that is going to be it for today's episode of TPT. The two stories we just talked about are in your show notes if you want some more detail. But for now, that is it. We'll be back next Friday for another episode. That one's a little bit longer, our standard Friday 30-minute episode. Until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can and follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Chinoose produces our show and makes all of our music that year throughout. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more of my stuff at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you right here next Friday. Peace.